Welcome to Paychecks Thrive, a business podcast where you'll hear timely insights to help you navigate marketplace dynamics and propel your business forward. Here's your host, Gene Marks. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Paychecks Thrive. My name is Gene Marks. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am speaking with Brett Winton. He is a chief futurist, Brett, the chief futurist, I'm assuming, Brett. At, uh, Ar- I can't imagine there's like a team of futurists, but maybe there is at ARC Investment Management. Uh, so, you know, Brett, you're, you're out in California. Is ARC also based in California as well? No, ARC is based in Florida and we have, you know, team members all over the country. Uh, and I've been in, in California since inception of the firm. We were in New York. We've been in Florida. Um, but really, we access talent anywhere in the country. And so uh, the transition to remote work was very easy for us because we were already, you know, doing everything we needed to, to to kind of asynchronously work and exchange documents I believe and forecasts. Yeah, no, yeah. I believe it. And is tell me a little bit about ARC. So, you know, it's an investment management firm, but are you, is, is ARC, it, it, you know, you know, proactively involved in making investments in companies that are of interest to their shareholders and their clients? Yeah. So ARK Invest uh, is a company we invest in um, disruptive technologies in the public and private markets. Uh, so we're probably most well known for our actively managed ETF suites. We actually kind of define the category of, hey, we are going to transparently show you everything that we hold and we're going to actively manage these ETFs and we're going to invest in, in what we see as the five innovation platforms that are defining this uh, technological economic moment. So between public blockchains, artificial intelligence, uh, energy storage, including how it's transforming the mobility space, what we call multi-omic sequencing. So everything from being able to edit the genome to understand exactly what's going on in the proteins in your body, um, as well as robotics, um, that, that all five of those innovation platforms hitting the marketplace at the same time, we think creates a unique moment in history. And, and that's why we founded ARC. And, and that's what we've been doing since inception is investing and forecasting this. It is. It's very, very cool. Um, a lot of it is long term and a lot of it is kind of shorter term, actually, particularly when you see how fast some of these technologies are are advancing. What is um so as chief futurist, what does that mean? Well, so we have always differentiated ourselves from other market participants by taking an intentionally longer term point of view when we okay. kind of invest in in individual uh, companies and and when we forecast technologies. So often, uh, you know, people will invest in a stock based on what they expect to happen over the next year. Uh, we underwrite uh, securities over five years and our technology forecasts extend out to 10 years and, and beyond. Uh, and so there's always this um, uh, kind of like marriage between the top-down work that we do, the the forecasting at the, te- the technology level, and then how that kind of fits into our expectations for the individual companies. Uh, and so as the chief futurist, I'm responsible for, you know, uh, like steering the ship in the right direction on on the top down research and and um, figuring out how many electric vehicles are going to be sold, you know what's the future of AI and and uh, you know really helping our analysts to forecast and model those events. So I don't do the all the modeling myself, but it's making sure that we have kind of diligent processes for for forecasting the future and and understanding how big and valuable these technologies are going to be. 
You know, so I, so our audience are business owners. Um, I went through um, your Twitter account. I pulled out some fun tweets, um, things that you have a you know, point of view on. And yeah, I'm hoping we can get to that because it's, you know, it's AI and it's, you know, robotics and, uh, you know, there are, there are those kinds of things that really do affect our, affect our audience. But, you know, you, as you're talking, it kind of strikes me that you're, you're making bets on some longer term technologies. The, over the past few years, you must have had made, you must have had some disappointments, like some technologies that you were betting on that seemed like they were going to really be something and not that they won't, but um, they just, they're either they're fizzling or they're just not, they don't seem to be progressing as fast. So let, let me give you some examples, right? Um, there's been a lot of talk right now about the metaverse, you know, and and all the investments that Facebook has made. Uh, I mean, they changed their name to, to Meta. Um, I know for a fact, because I have friends that are right now involved in the building of server farms that are bigger than, you know, the state of, you, you know, Utah, um, you know, in preparation for this metaverse. But it just, people seem to have like, not lost interest, but they're becoming a little bit more bearish about it. Give me your thoughts on that, because that has a big impact, you know, on on businesses and what they're going to be, yeah, you know, how they're going to be behaving in the future. Yeah, I mean, I, I think generally, um, part of the value of doing the actual work of forecasting is it helps you to separate the 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 wheat from the chaff. And so when Facebook bought Oculus uh, right. in, I think that was 2015 or thereabouts. Uh, you know, we did we did work on VR headsets and said, hey, uh, um, you know, how big is this going to be? What is the unit economics going to look like? And we really couldn't get aggressive on our expectations relative hmm. to what other people were forecasting because the chicken and egg issue between like um, uh, you need quality content specifically designed for the headset for people to buy the headset, but you need enough people to have the headset in order to generate yes. kind of the flywheel of, of developers willing to develop to it. Uh, it just didn't seem solvable given the state of the technology. And frankly, it's still not. I think that, you know, Apple is going to launch a $3,000 headset reputedly. Uh, that's way too high a price point for it to be a mass market product. I, I, I think that um, even, you know, they're uh, ostensibly expecting to sell up to a million units. And that would be a remarkable business success given yeah. that, that the price point they're at. And that they're, it seems as if they're hoping that third-party developers will figure out what this thing is going to be useful for, which to attract developers, to get people to do that, you need enough people that are willing to put the goggles yeah, on market. their face. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and and yeah. So, so Meta's strategy I have always seen is, is just off the mark in that they were so subject to platform risk with Apple and Android over the course of their business life that Mark Zuckerberg has has always been focused on, I need to be in front of whatever the next uh, platform and operating system is and assume that that was going to get attached to hardware. I, I don't think that's happening this cycle. I think that generative AI and all of the ways in which AI is going to change software is actually the platform that's going to change things. And, and so by devoting all these resources to trying to like build goggles that people will put on their face, uh, he, he in some ways missed what what was actually the technological transition that that we're in the throes of right now, which is, um, you know, if if you can just speak to a computer and it can respond, uh, then in in a natural language way, that changes the way in which we can interact with software and computation. And those kinds of user interface transitions are often where kind of like 
platform economics emerge. And, and I think that's where we're at. So, uh, you know, it's funny that you say that. You made the right call on Metaverse, uh, on, on the Metaverse only because you mentioned about hardware. I do agree with you that if Apple were to sell a million, you know, of these headsets, there is there is a market for people using these headsets. They're doing training with it. They're, you know, real estate agents touring people through, you know, a virtual home or whatever. But I don't know, man, like unless I'm wearing a pair of glasses that looks like any other pair of glasses and I can give it a command and switch into some virtual meeting and I don't look like a complete dope, you know, wearing some giant space, you know, it's just, it's not going to happen. And even the pair of glasses, the amount of hardware, the processing that has to happen in it, um, it's ginormous without it looking like, I mean, even Google Glass made people look ridiculous. And that wasn't even as crazy looking as, the, the, you know, the VR headsets that, that are out there. So it's interesting to hear you have that perspective because it, it's definitely a hardware problem. I'm going to tell you another hardware problem that I see that you just, because you just mentioned with AI and you, know, you see it progressing, you know, much faster. I, you know, right now when I when I talk about ChatGPT and AI to clients, um, it's it's great and it's cool. And I realize it's not, it's, you know, it needs to improve its accuracy. It still has, you know, bias involved. There's, you know, all that going on. Um, but, you know, you're, you're, it's doing research for you. It's answering questions and it's doing a little bit of stuff for you. It can write an email or write a blog or whatever, you know? I'm curious your thoughts on when AI actually gets incorporated, when it actually merges with IoT, with Internet of Things, when sure. you actually have AI, you know, AI software on machines and factories that businesses can afford, not just Toyota, you know, or, or Amazon, that are able to adjust the situations, warn of maintenance, take certain actions, you know, trigger another machine to start because this machine has finished. Do you know what I mean? Even call an autonomous machine to come over to, you know, remove some products from it to bring it somewhere else. How far off into the future? Is it? That's where I see my clients really, really embracing AI when it has that impact on, on, on how they make stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that... Um one, it's the the rate pace of capability increase is so rapid right now yeah. um, that that just taking the capability of AI systems today and then spinning up a bunch of businesses to like apply that to all of these use cases, it's happening right now and it's yeah. happening. And, yeah. and it's not that um, kind of these generative AI systems are stopping; they're still advancing in terms of their capability. Uh, and and so. You know, on the research side, academics have demonstrated, hey, if I give a robot the ability to interface with people with natural language, not only does that make it easier for the user to say, hey, go pick up that screwdriver for me, but actually you can use that natural language ability to help the robot figure out how to pick up the screwdriver, where by having the robot translate that into, oh, I need to walk across the room. Oh, I need to look in this drawer for a screwdriver oh, this is what a screwdriver looks like. And so actually the, the, the advance in natural language understanding, you know, at first, at first a blush, you'd think, hey, this, yeah, this will help me interface with the robot. But it actually, these same advances that are driving ChatGPT are actually helping kind of robotic systems to interpret and navigate through the world. Uh, and, and so I, you know, I think you'll see it uh, in every endpoint device that has sufficient computation in it you'll have some kind of AI model pushed against it to make it more performant and more easily kind of customizable by the end user. And then at a very high level, the um, 
the cost of of developing custom software and and in the kind of like manufacturing space, like that's a lot of the cost of installing like an automated system is actually, oh, I have to hire in an engineer to figure out exactly how this robot arm needs to work in my factory. Like that cost is going to totally collapse because really your ability to um, develop software distills to your ability to uh, be precise with your language now. You know, software is really, it's like, the irony is people think of these things as, hey, this is a way that it allows computers to speak. But actually, these, these um, you know, GPT-4 allows us to speak to computers. And, and yeah. that's what code, coding really is. And so I think that kind of the ability of, of, of enterprises to take, you know, digital devices and actually have them do exactly precisely what they want them to do uh, is, mm. is going to explode here. And so uh, in some ways, like... It's ironic to me that in the markets, it seems like everybody's paying attention to, oh, it's Microsoft versus Google, whereas I think actually the, the more interesting exposures to AI from an investor's perspective are the companies that have these endpoint devices, they have the distribution in place, and they can massively upgrade their capability by pushing AI models against them just with the existing capabilities today. It's funny. First, first company that comes to mind, and and uh, there were CEOs on my list to interview as well. Is uh, is Boston Dynamics? You know, for example, I think of them, and you know, some of the robotics they have. They just released, uh, you know, their Atlas. You know, uh, you know, and it's like a you know, it's a robot that's walking around, and you think like, holy mackerel! I mean, AI gives the humans the ability to talk to that robot, and for that robot to process and understand what what they're saying, and then do more advanced functionality. It's just a it's just the hardware has got to catch up to it, but that can't take too long to do. And I'm assuming there are other there are other companies you're looking at that are doing very similar stuff. Yeah, and you know Boston Dynamics is an interesting case where my understanding of how you know they have a, a super capable kind of like dynamic balancing and think of it yeah. as like very very tactical like movement system. And, and by the way, over- I don't know if you ever seen their their videos of the robots falling over each other and you know failing yeah. in their tests. It's very funny. <laughs> well, right, right. And, and, and they, they, um, you know, the, my understanding of kind of like the back end of their system is it's a lot more kind of marionetting along the way or to date has been, um, for certainly for all of the demo videos they do, where it's like also almost custom engineering, like this system to do a somersault. So it looks really impressive. Right. Um, and, it and it's clear, like the direction we're going is instead, um, very kind of unstructured, like, uh, instructions given to a robot and it's able to actually prosecute those those instructions. And so, you know, right now Tesla, like Elon Musk is claiming that, you know, their their humanoid robot is going to be larger than or more valuable than their entire enterprise combined. Uh, and they're and they're throwing resources at it uh, within the context of Tesla as in they're building prototypes, they're developing software. There's a few other humanoid robot startups that have come out of stealth over the past few months. And and the reason to believe it should or could work now is because you actually can get around mechanical limitations with better software. You know, like, so, so part of the, like, if you think about within the robotic arm context, um, you know, if, if, if you have to design the robotic arm, so it precisely picks up something with millimeter precision that requires a lot of expense in that robotic arm. You need like an actuator that is extremely precise and, and can get you right to the right spot. And then on the other side, you need the part it's supposed to pick up to get right in the right spot. And so it, it makes for a very, very rigid system. But that's not how we as humans 
operate. You know, we get close to what we're going to pick up and then we kind of like, you know, wiggle our head around to see. And, and, and so the, 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 the having good software, good perception and, and, and kind of like fine motor software rather than hardware actually allows you to do a lot more with a lot less expensive components. And then that makes manufacturability, you know, um, much easier. And so you should expect that you'll see kind of much more performant um, hardware automation systems that are more flexible, not because there is a massive advance on the hardware side, though people are working on that, but instead because the software is just advancing so, so quickly uh, that, that you can get over hardware limitations that were otherwise uh, essentially capability killers within existing robotic systems. Interesting that you say that. Yeah. So I... Um... You know, I heard um, Elon, Musk, Elon Musk was interviewed by Lex Friedman on his podcast. If you ever listen to Lex Friedman's podcast, which is fantastic. And um, and there's like a year and a half ago, um, and and even Musk was admitting then that for Tesla to have their self-driving vehicles, um, it was a lot harder than he expected it to be. You know, th there was a lot going on to make, you know, a, you know, a, a decision when a self-driving car is going down the street and a child kicks a ball and, and you know in front of the car and you know which direction of the car there was like a lot of processing that had to go on and his biggest he said the biggest challenge um that they had at the point was was processing power was hardware you know i mean it had to it had to figure all that stuff and process it that much faster it wasn't as much software but now it it seems that um that problem is quickly getting solved because you know ai itself is becoming that much more efficient at running that you know, the hardware challenges are becoming a little bit less. I guess the same example is, do you remember like, you know, Microsoft would release new versions of its operating system back in the 90s, way ahead of the hardware. And you would yeah. have to like buy new computers just so the hardware could like catch up to it, you know? Um, and, and today it's all seemed, it seems to have caught up. Do you think, my question for you is, um, do you, with all of the, the hubris around AI, do you, do you ever sense that there is still a hardware challenge that still we're facing i mean we're not making enough chips in this country where um sure. you, you know what i mean like you know it's like, like we can almost like be stopped because we don't have the hardware to process this stuff the way it needs to be does that concern you at all it doesn't concern me but it's it's definitely true that like right now um open ai is would prefer their users to use chat gpt less because they just don't have enough right. GPUs on the back end to run it. Right. Uh, and so um, there's clearly an opportunity for, for you know, providing just the chips to run these models. And, and um, we think that, like, to give you a sense, the total IT spend is between four and five trillion dollars a year total on, you know, uh, across all enterprises, all their And that is spend, just fixing printers, by the way. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 but we think that hardware to support AI software, just the compute chips to support AI software will be $1.4 trillion in spend by 2030. Uh, mm. and, and so there's a clear need for a lot of AI specific chips out there. And what's kind of on the language front and with what Tesla's doing, um, there's, huge innovations in just taking, um, you know, very big models and figuring out how to get the same performance out of a much smaller model. It turns out you can actually overstuff these models with data and allow the, the model to, to run on smaller uh, hardware uh, than you would otherwise expect. And, and um, 
the open sourcing of these language models means some people are managing to compress them enough that it could run on a laptop. And, and what's really remarkable about it, like if you think about how much data is compressed into these models, the fact that I can ask, you know, GPT-4, uh, you know, to tell me about Roman dodecahedrons and uh, what they were useful for. And they're these little uh, metal uh dodecahedrons that people don't know what they're used for and ask it to speculate on that. Not only will it know what I'm talking about, but it will have like a structured set of these are the things that they could be used for, some of which have been hypothesized by scientists, some of which haven't, you know, and that that is embedded in this, in this, uh, you know, uh, uh, trillion parameter model, or we don't know exactly how big it is, but actually it's not even, it's probably less than that, um, is, is really remarkable. And, 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 uh, indicative of how that, that you you could run that on a smaller system, it would just take you a long time per word, um, you know. And and so I I think that there's um, there's the in in some ways like what these systems will do, they will let less powerful hardware appear more powerful. Like that's it at the at the end stage. It's you know Tesla has its chips it's installing on cars. It really needs those to not be water cooled. It needs them to run in an automotive environment. So it has to be a very small chip. You know, that they're getting the performance that they're getting out of their system in my, you know, Tesla in the garage that's that's four years old now is really amazing and that it's still improving. So it's like the opposite of the Microsoft example where they upgrade the operating system and it breaks the entire hardware. Here, it's like I have a car that's four years old that's still getting better based on operating system advances. It's it's a very different paradigm. Uh, yeah, and so, that's amazing. That is amazing. Okay. Um Another question on ChatGPT. Uh, my understanding of ChatGPT is as fantastic as it is, and we've got obviously more versions coming. Uh, people are getting like super excited about Auto GPT, and I don't know if if a lot of business owners or people listening to this understand what it is, but it sort of takes the chat out of the ChatGPT and starts doing stuff. It's like GPT, you know, doing stuff on its own, right? Which has scary implications, but also incredible, you know product, you know, implication for productivity. Can you give me your thoughts on AutoGPT? Do you think it's going to be as fantastic as everybody says it is? Do you think that's it's going to replace ChatGPT? That type of I think, Well, replace that. I mean, I, so the general it's idea different. here is, hey, hey, can I can I turn a, a chatbot into an agent where I can say, hey, right. can you can you find a new business opportunity for me and spin it up and begin executing on it? And right. so then the chatbot goes off and will begin accessioning APIs and, and you give it some a budget and uh, it maybe <laughs> spins up additional chatbots to you serve as customer support and sure. it build, builds the business for you. Uh, and I, you know, I think it, it's clearly a direction that we're going where you are managing kind of um, AI agents working on your behalf to mm. uh, fulfill business functions. And I think it's, um, and so there's a reason people are excited about it because then it, it kind of like, not only are you no longer writing the software, you're actually not even product managing the business. You know, it's, it's finding enterprise value and, and extracting it. Um, and it's, it's early in terms of the capability. We had, we actually have one of our analysts try to spin one up internally. He called it Brett GPT and, uh, it got, it got, um, you know, it was, it was, lost lost in a loop of like trying to like get company information and then looking at stuff that's totally extraneous for what it should do and uh so so we pulled the plug on it but i i, I think i think there's there's clearly like a kernel of an idea that that um when it works at scale it becomes very large which is why people are interested in it 
and just just on the capability of um, language AI agents today in terms of how they impact education and, and customer service and all of these functions that are really actually big um, kind of uh, important economic functions, uh, we're going to see a lot of innovation before you even get into the like agent out there operating in the world independently stage. So you, you guys make investments in disruptive technologies. You, you are taking a long-term you know, you know, angle on this. But let me ask, I mean, I guess without divulging any secret sauce here, uh, you know, our, our audience or business owners, you know, that are listening to this, they want to know what's coming down the pike, you know, like what should they be aware of, aware of what, so I guess my question to you is where are you investing your money from a business perspective, you know, that, that would impact businesses sure. um, that you think will have an impact shorter term. And by shorter term, I mean somewhere in the next three to five years so that if I'm running a business you know, you're basically telling me like, you need to pay attention to this. We're investing in it. It's going to have an impact. Can you think of an example or two? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, internally, every one of it, certainly our analysts and on the operations side has been empowered and encouraged to to play with the AI tools that are coming to market and figure out ways to do things more efficiently within the business based on the AI tools that are available today. And to okay. think carefully about how we're going to use the data that we generate to um, further customize kind of like uh, the the way in which we interface with the world using AI. Uh, and okay. so I think I think every um, there's I, I really think that enterprises that don't adopt AI aggressively will get outcompeted and die. As in, uh, this is a uh, a incredible capability upgrade. One, one way to think about it, okay, if, if I wanted, if I need copy or something for, for marketing copy, and I, right. I wanted to contract out to a writer to do that marketing copy for me, uh, previously, I would have paid around 10 cents a word. Uh, and You just uh, tweeted, and, this is really true. Keep yeah, going. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> but using GPT-4 or, 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 or Anthropic Claude, which is an API competitor, I can do it for, for two cents per thousand words. So it, it's <laughs> yeah. like a 3000 X cost decline in the ability to generate copy. So on the one hand, that means, um, Hey, you know, the customer service function, the marketing function, all of that changes. Like the way in which you advertise to people can totally transform because you can literally write ad copy for the specific end customer and Facebook or meta will help you do that and everything else. It also means insofar as you're a business that has some kind of business function that implicitly assumes that um, somebody sending to a, a letter to you is the equivalent of you know $20 in sweat equity or $40 in sweat equity. If, if, you, if your inbound channels are designed in some way around the fact that, hey, this is somebody that spent time writing this, um, therefore it must be something I need to pay attention to, uh, you're going to get totally overwhelmed and swamped. And, and that as a signal of importance to you, it, you have to figure out a way to tune it differently. Uh, and, and so um, that I think I think there, there are going to be a lot of businesses and that includes like all the security risks that that entails, but also just even like the, you know, if you imagine you're AT&T and uh, customers can come to you and be like, hey, you know, I'm thinking of switching plans and AT&T turns around and says, hey, we'll give you a $20 discount on your monthly payment Will you stay. And right now that's the optimum business decision for them because, you know, that customer who's agitated enough to go to them to say, I'm, you know, thinking about leaving is a customer who's also like active enough that they actually are going to leave if you don't give them a discount. 
But now if everybody gets that kind of complaint feature for free, they have to change the way in which they they manage that interaction. Because previously, it was, giving the discount was wise because you reduce churn and, and it was a small subset of customers that are doing it. Suddenly, it's like uh, the, the whole economics of that interaction change. Uh, and so I think, I think it's true across businesses and society that we have, there's an implicit connection between written material and implied human thought. And that's going to get severed. And, and that means that, you know, the, the written generated material, you know, won't be a good signal as to whether or not this, there's action implied behind it in the, to the same degree. I have, um, so you know, a lot of times clients are asking me, um, but I'm, by the way, I'm a, I'm a CPA, if you haven't figured it out already by the way I look. Um, and, but you know, we do, we do technology services as well in my company and we, uh, so clients are asking about chat GPT and, and AI in general. My advice to them is, to, you know, these are smaller companies or mid-sized companies. And, and my advice has generally been to, um, listen, don't drive yourself. You don't have to develop your own AI. You don't have to become some kind of an AI expert you you need to talk to your software vendors that you're relying on your business systems you know i mean they're all using quickbooks or sage or salesforce or dynamics or zoho or you know asana or whatever and my my belief is and this is what i want to ask you if you think my belief is right is that the major business software application providers um, are they're making the investments to incorporate ai and ai tools in their current and future iterations on their platform so that they can get their customers to use them. And I think the smartest way to go if you're a smaller company is to pay close attention to what they're doing and to ask and to not, you know, to, to embrace it. But developing this stuff on their own seems to be, um, I don't know if that, you know, if, if it's cost effect because they're not in the software business. Am I giving them the right advice? I mean, I think it's I, I, I think it's true that every software as a service company will have to incorporate AI. And and so all these systems, they will spin up kind of AI like their their software will It'll be increasingly, yeah, increasingly defined by what AI can do. Right. And there's a I think that one the that software doesn't touch all of a company's business. And I think as a, as a CEO or, or a manager, True. you need to think about, you know, what are the parts of our business that aren't softwareized today that actually should be and will be. And I think that there's a, um, you know, do you, I, I'll, I'll, from our perspective, we're, you know, we invest in technology. We're in the financial services industry. Within the research team, everybody we hire now has to have some degree of coding familiarity and mm. background. And it's not mm. that we're they're going to come in and write code, but um, but now actually maybe they are. You know, I have associates who are, are writing code because GPT four makes it so much easier yeah. to do it and ship it, yeah. and you can use Replit, and you don't even need to worry about the back end. Like you can you can. Uh, if you have a pain point inside your business, even at the interface between two software as a service products, previously your options were you'd go to like some kind of um, you Zapier, know, uh, or Zapier or, yeah. or if you're bigger, maybe you go to Infosys, like go yeah. offshore and be like, develop me some middleware to stitch these two things together. And that's brittle and it breaks and it's expensive and it seems cheap, but it really is like a terrible mm. process. Takes a lot like, of TLC. Yeah. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. you are. I think better off like funding that on your own balance sheet and developing mm. a custom piece of kit to stitch things together and really, mm. you know, um, kind of like 
being being closer to the metal of of what's going on with your business. And I, I think that's really like there's a the direction that things are going is is kind of like maybe there's monolithic software as a service suites like Microsoft and then a lot of micro like custom services that are enabled by AI. And so um, I think that, you know, to the degree that as a business owner, you can um, get in front of that or at least play with it. Like think about like customer service function or, or how do you deal with inbound email volume? Like even just using the, the um, consumer facing chat GPT in, interface, like you can, you can increase your productivity and you can have your entire team increase their productivity if you tell them to use it. You know, and, and you say, hey, listen, try to use this to make yourself a better kind of more efficient employee. And um, what's amazing about the technology, it's so easy to play with and, and use. Uh, so. All right. Great answer. Um, we're almost done. Uh, before I let you go, and I've, I've asked you 10% of the questions I was planning on asking you as usual. I never even got a chance to go through some of your tweets. But um, this is your job is to look for opportunities to invest, like people that are doing stuff that are really cool things to do and, uh, you know, can, can, can be really great for your company and your, your, your clients. Um, for a business owner that wants to keep up on all the things going on in AI, um, which is what you do. Um, I'm curious if you've got a couple of any recommendations. Like I follow a guy on Twitter I don't know if you know uh, Rowan Cheng. I never met the guy before. It's a great Twitter account. He's always listing out all sorts of different stuff going on, new applications yeah. and new developments, whatever. And I think it's I, I think he's great. I'm curious who you who you where where do you go and who do you read? Just a couple, if you can share with us a couple sites or a couple names um, that that might keep our audience better informed going or without giving away any proprietary secrets. Well, I, f I follow all of our analysts. Uh, and so that's, there's a list of the whole ARC team. You can follow the whole ARC team. And that's where, you know, in all of these technology Can areas, the public do this too, by the way? Yeah, oh, yeah. And, okay. and, 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 but that's actually the real answer is from the beginning of ARC, one of the things that we've done differently from other asset managers is to, uh, to publish our research and to say what we believe is going to happen and to put cool. the information out there in the world. And the reason we've done it and the reason we're more transparent than anybody else is because that actually makes us smarter. So we, you know, we um, publish on on kind of like the intersection between Bitcoin mining and energy storage, um, not because we're showing off it, because then lots of Bitcoin mining and renewable energy companies and oil companies come to us and say, hey, this is how we're using that. Have you considered that? Or, you know, and so it, it actually... Uh, the way in which we tune the world's information engine to give us material is by publishing material into the world. And so kind of like if you're, I think, particularly on Twitter, which is a, which is a very useful platform for it, uh, you know, people that put out really tangible, specific information about what they're doing or struggling with on Twitter actually attract a lot of kind of information about that thing. And so it's not just, I think it's more than just following someone and there's you know plenty of plenty of accounts that you know they they list oh these are the there's also lots of viral or people who are who are chasing traffic or like these are the 20 things you're doing wrong with chat gpt and i think that a lot of that is is kind of of marginal utility but instead saying hey i'm trying to use chat gpt to do this this is how i'm doing it uh and that'll attract a lot more attention and engagement uh, and in tuned specifically to who you are and what you're doing. 
And by the way, you can you can ask Chat GPT to help you as you're doing it. So that's like the the uh, the the real um, the you know the the other kind of dialogue that can enter into the the chat is is from the the artifacts themselves. Um, okay, so, that's so some Twitter people, and then also um, the analysts at, at Arc Investments, and it's arc-invest.com. Am I getting? Is that is that yes, the place yes. to start? Yes, arc arc-invest.com, or just okay. follow me on Twitter and and follow everybody I follow. You do well sounds like good. That. <laughs> um, Brett, thank you so much. Uh, I've been speaking with Brett Witten. Brett is the chief futurist of ARK Investment Management. He can be found on Twitter at Winton ARK, right? W-I-N-T-O-N-A-R-K. Uh, great account. We'll keep you up to date on all things going on in technology in general, not just AI. Uh, Brett does not limit himself to that. So, hey, man, thank you so much for joining. It was really a lot of fun talking. And like I said, I've, I, I have many more questions for you. So maybe we can talk again in the future, okay? Great. Love that. Thanks, Gene. Do you have a topic or a guest that you would like to hear on Thrive? Please let us know. Visit payx.me forward slash Thrive Topics and send us your ideas or matters of interest. Also, if your business is looking to simplify your HR, payroll, benefits, or insurance services, see how Paychex can help. Visit the resource hub at paychex.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Paychex can help manage those complexities while you focus on all the ways you want your business to thrive. I'm your host, Gene Marks, and thanks for joining us. Till next time, take care. This podcast is property of Paychex Incorporated 2023. All rights reserved.